three, two, Prepare one. For lights. Punch it, Chewie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Holocron Hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! The unofficial podcast of unlimited power. We're back again this week with another brand new podcast episode that we found buried within the depths of the Holocron. My name's Jamie Clare, and I'm here with my good buddies to discuss the two-part finale of Andor Season 1. Joining me, as always, is my fellow members of the Hoopla Hoopla. We have the Jedi historian, Andy Smith. Darth Smithius here, a connoisseur of many nerdy things, especially Star Wars. Andor was such a good season. Like, w- what a great season one. We're, we're going to talk all about it, but uh, this is the Star Wars we need. I cannot wait to get into it with everybody's favorite droid, Chris Pio. C3 Pio, human cyborg relations here. What's up, guys? So pumped to talk about these final two episodes of what really was the best Star Wars project we've ever seen. We'll get into oh, the details. We'll whoa, get into the mix hot here. Take, but hot take. But uh, uh, our best Disney project we've ever okay, seen. Less of a hot take. Let me, cl- let me clarify there. Uh, yeah. Let me clarify there. Colder take. There. Colder take. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm, I haven't finished my coffee take. yet. We're not in full form. But, uh, warm take, yeah. warm take. <laughs> and here for an even hotter take, we have the amateur bounty hunter who is getting busy bashing Imperial Skulls, Jake Laxer. You know, Marva, you inspired me yet again. You Marva. keep doing it from beyond the grave. Mm. Jake Laxer here, lover of all things TV and movies. Now this is what I call podcasting. How are we <laughs> Let's do it. Let's get on in. <laughs> Hoopla. How long you've been waiting to pull that one on oh, us? Oh God. Uh, today, episode today. four. And I'm disappointed. We get it, it took this long to figure that out, though. <laughs> That's got to be the new tagline for the show. <laughs> now this is podcasting. Oh my God. I'll uh, try recording. That's a good move. <laughs> Speaking of podcasting. Thank you all for listening to this season of the Hoopla Podcast. We've been loving Andor. We love everybody connecting with us on Twitter and Instagram, all the social medias. Chris, where can people find us if they want to reach out, tell us about their theories, comment on our wonderful analysis of the show? Where can they find us? Oh, I don't know about wonderful, but if you do want to interact and engage with us on socials, if you're talking Andor or other Star Wars properties, find us at Hulacron. At Holocron, uh, bleh. other Star Wars properties <laughs> connected bleh. and engaged with us. It's kind of like B2 email. Holocron. You can connect and engage with us at Holocron Hoopla on both Twitter and Instagram. And as well, follow our main channel podcasts at Hoopla Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, part of the Hoopla Podcast Network. And if you're looking for links to those you can find any link you could ever need in the episode description of this and every episode of the Hoopla Podcast. Some other fun links you'll find there is we got some wonderful merch Ooh, in the merch, merch store. Merch, Andy, merch, merch. you want to tell us a little bit about the merch we got going on? We have merch from all of our properties here on the Square.site uh, merchandise store that we have. So you can find us here at hooplapodcastnetwork.square.site. You know, it's it's getting to Christmas time. There's some uh, some good Christmas goodies that. I've gone for some of my siblings. They might know that now. Spoiler that music. Podcast here <laughs> uh, for Christmas. So go take a look. Uh, we got shirts, beanies, and even a holiday ornament. So go, don't, go take Ooh. a look. Yeah, so go check out all those links we got down in the episode description. Thank you all for, for tuning in. 
We would very much appreciate it if anyone wants to leave us reviews. We love reading the reviews that we get on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, and it's a good way to help other people connect with the show. We're trying to spread the hoopla to everybody hoopla, in hoopla, the galaxy. Hoopla. But now, it's time to dive into this two-part season finale of Andor Season 1. What an incredible way to end this story. I mean, where do we even begin? Do we just dive straight in to the battle on Ferrix? Oh, well, we gotta set it up a li- little bit with Marva, right? Like, the, mm. the connecting point of that... that- season finale and and the penultimate episode just that opening scene where they killed marva off screen off screen yeah and we see it through b2 emo's eyes well i we see it through b2 emo's eye andrew i i thought that was a very deliberate choice and a choice that they made correctly because the last time we saw marva was truly when cassian last saw marva and then he went on this whole prison excursion. Uh, excursion's definitely not the right word. But he got... He's just a he, tourist. He's <laughs> <laughs> just a tourist. He's just a tourist. <laughs> he gets thrown in uh, Narkina and, and thrown in prison. We'll never see Marva again. He doesn't know this, of course. But we, as the audience, will never see her again until later on when we see her final writ or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever the projection is, however it's recorded. That's I don't beautiful. know when she did in it. In the seventh... Minute of the final no, episode. No what? way. Really? No, I'm just bullshitting you. All. <laughs> oh, wow, that was amazing. Got him. Oh, you did. You stinker. You did. The... You got me. I served that right on a plate for you. Don't try to take away from the importance of that scene with your number I'm sorry, games. I'm sorry. No, that was funny. You got us. You got all of us. Thank but you. Uh, Thank you. Marva got all of us too. And I can't think of a more poignant and yeah. better send-off for a, a, a character who we only got introduced to this season and really, again, did not have a, a huge part to play. Subtly, yeah, sure, but on screen time and, and you know impact as far as the main story was so subtle, but uh, in the end, Marva's character and, and that projection was just so cool. I, I do agree, though, Chris. It was, and you said the word impact. Her impact, like her death, we see that through other characters. First being B2 Emo in that scene where oh. his, there's a glass of maybe water or something on, on him and it starts to shake. The emotion that they were able to draw out of this droid was just incredible. A droid! Yeah, they yeah. gave very human-like features to B2 Emo, which we haven't seen in a droid before, at least to that extent. Not since Chris Pio. oh (laughs) that's right but you you almost did it almost was like he b2 emo you could almost see him crying oh yeah it it felt like he was just in you know complete distress brazo is there but then once again you see the impact of marva's death through b2 emo through just the Mm -hmm. community at large and how much respect they have for her and and all the different machinations of what they do when someone passes on Ferrix. And then at the ending of that that penultimate episode when you see Cassian learn about her death. Like that was a great way to end that episode as well. Just yeah. super Him impactful. and Moshi there absolutely shattered. And and it's it's a testament to everything we've seen of this character driven plotline for all you know throughout the entire series. And then that speech that she gives her posthumous speech to all the people of Ferrix about how she lived her life fighting the rebellion and or fighting the empire and how everybody here needs to stand up 
and yeah. fight. And you see as her speech is kind of crescendoing the imperial guards and soldiers that are there to like rein in this celebration of Marva's life. They get tense and more tense and more tense as Marva like increases the intensity of her speech. Yeah. Until finally at the very end, she says, you have to fight the Empire. And then they they shut down the whole speech and goes crazy. Now it all makes sense why B2 Emo has been running on low battery. I mean, he had Marva's will (laughs) in 8K this entire time. It was perfect, clear, like... Excellent picture quality. We've never seen that in a Star Wars hologram before. Marvel was all in on this rebellion <laughs> aspect. Yeah. And it was It was a very impactful speech. It gave a lot of inspiration and hurrah almost to the rebellion. And, and that's where Marvel even said that's where her fight was here on Ferrix. And she finally delivered yeah. Beyond the Grave. Yeah. It was the second most impactful thing she did that episode, right behind her own brick, the brick. made from her ashes, oh. impacting the skulls <laughs> Impact. of the stormtroopers. Yeah. Yeah. As Brazo uses Marva to literally fight the Empire. Yeah. How beautiful of an wonderful. ending is that? And it's not a you know, cutaway solo scene either. I mean, it's it's in the it's in the chaos. If you blink, you'd miss that little thing. Mm-hmm. But it's right. it's so impactful, pun intended. Uh, that metaphor to use the brick. <laughs> I will say I have a gripe. It's a small gripe, Ooh. but Aww. I thought there. I, I, you know me. I'm I'm the bad boy of the pod. I no, gotta come have, in and give a couple. You've rated it the highest this entire. I, this is true. This is guy. true. I've You're loved Andor. I've loved Andor so much. At the very end of that speech, where one of the Imperial officers is like, "Turn that off," and he like takes this random blanket and tries to cover oh, yeah. this what is it like it can't be bigger than uh, uh it can't be bigger than a womp rat can't be bigger than what a three <laughs> inch hole that's projecting this 8k image and he somehow misses and then the last line fight the empire comes out I, 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 that just didn't need to be there I just let this let the projection finish and then you know the explosion of chaos I, I, why did he try to cover it? And why did he miss because so badly? The reason oh, they needed do that. Do stormtroopers storm always troopers. miss? That, okay. Stormtroopers always oh, miss. That oh, maybe that's what it is. I talked myself into it. Theory. The music. reason they needed that there is because Brazo <laughs> then music. he pushes over B2 Emo, and then the audience immediately hates that guy. I don't, I don't know if I've had more disdain for a, a villain character than that guy when he pushed over B2 Emo, and then Brazo is going to take the brick and just hit him with it, which is awesome. So you're saying it was a necessity because he failed to stop the projection, so he had to push B2 over? I mean, he's I not, he's well, not very it effective. Of, it was kind of like... Small gripe. It if, took me out of the moment for a moment. I got see, right back into it with the brick and everything, but it took me out of the moment. It was strange. I saw it as kind of like, if... Marva was still alive and giving that speech in person, the Imperial soldiers would be trying to silence her. And so they would be like, you know, handcuffing her, dragging her away. And then she would get out a la- her last couple lines as she was being dragged away by the Imperial soldiers. So this was like sort of the same thing sure. where they try to stop her and her final line gets out just okay. a minute of time Whatever. before. I told you it was a B2. small gripe. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a eulogy speech. It's, it's, a, it's a will speech. A few episodes in a row, they're, the writers are creating this beautiful, eloquent monologues for these different characters. Yes. Like, another one. And then, like, Nemex. Mm. So, like, I, and I know I don't want to jump over there too quickly, but then you, we, there's the monologue of Nemec, 
in his manifesto. These are awesome, like just well-written like paragraphs of, of dialogue that yeah. are so impactful. They've earned it. They, they've yeah. certainly earned it because this is a character driven story. And when you yes. have strong characters that can stand on their own, you can give them these monologues. When you have excellent actors who understand the, the, the situation that's, that Star Wars in universe is in, but also in a, a, a more meta concept, how we enjoy Star Wars. We've always watched, you know, the original trilogy where there's big action scenes and stay on target and, and all this fight stuff. But Luke Skywalker's not a great character in the original trilogy. He's just kind of the hero that gets the call to action. These are great characters in Andor. And when you have that, you can give them a monologue. A monologue for Luke Skywalker in either the first two movies of the original trilogy, maybe Return would give, be a good monologue, but it just wouldn't fit. You don't give a monologue to your hero character if they haven't earned it with those character relationships. And I think that's just another testament to the writing team. Yeah, that is a great point. I really was glad that we got to hear part of the manifesto. Yeah. Yes. You know, Nemec made it such a big point mm -hmm. of that second arc. That was cool. And it was great to hear his thoughts on this whole rebellion. Is he still alive? Is Nemec still alive? Nemec is, oh. Nemec is definitely dead. That's like an off-screen death re recon or retcon thing. I don't think they can bring him back. No, definitely not. Nemec is Hey, super they brought dead. Darth Maul back in Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> what if well, he has he's spider legs? Evil. <laughs> he was yeah. kept alive by hate. <laughs> what if Nemec has spider legs? He, do he, does, <laughs> he does hate the Empire. Maybe it spider his... What if we find uh, Nemec on Dathomir and he's like, Actually, oh let's not God. even go into that. Okay, that's, that's a little bit too much. But <laughs> that's a what, what I found interesting was I think the maybe the last line or at least the last line of one of the sections of the manifesto is he ends it with the word try. Yeah. Yeah. Which was very, you know, powerful and moving, but it also goes against Yoda's teaching. Was that intentional? Do or do not, there is no try is one of Yoda's most famous advice right. that he's given. Uh, and then Nemec just says the complete opposite of it. Do we think that has anything to do with each other? I would say they are related. I, you can't use the word try in a Star Wars property without someone referencing that Yoda quote, and, and for good reason. It is a good quote. It, it applies to, you know, anything in your normal everyday life, do or do not. You know, either or get off the pot, go do the thing, or give up on the thing. Yoda's obviously saying it so you don't give up and you actually go do the thing, but it works both ways. When you hear Nemec say try, I think it's from a point of strife and a point of, I don't see a path out, but you have to try. So do or do not comes from a place of Master Yoda who has seen everything and everyone and is pretty powerful. Nemec is, is scrapping. He's writing this manifesto from a point of sacrifice, and it's a different type of, of try. So when he says try, he's speaking to the rebellion who are working off of fumes, who are scrapping to get by and survive. So it's a different type of try, and I think it's good to bring up, but I think that's, that's my two cents on, on what try would really mean. Yeah, so like when Yoda says it, he's saying do or do not, and that's when you have, I guess, control over the outcome. If you're in control of the outcome, you do or you do not. Right. But these guys, these rebellions, these rebels, they don't have control, so all yeah. they can do is try their best and hope for the outcome that they want. And, and I love that yeah. th this then plays over to you know, Cassian as he's reading through this manifesto and he knows that uh you know he, in the manifesto it says and know this the day will come when all these skirmishes and battles 
these moments of defi defiance will have flooded the banks of the empire's authority and there will be one too many one single thing will break the siege remember this try and when you're actually in that battle on Ferrix, it harkens back to that it's like maybe this is the moment and that's when you know cassian then makes the decision oh this is this is the moment and i'm gonna become the rebel that marva wanted me to be that nemec wants me to be you know I just love the the full kind of like all this kind of culminates for Cassian in this final yeah. like, episode. Yeah, it was so cool bringing it back to Ferrix. I agree. Not only that, but also having all the characters from all the different arcs yeah. come together and converge mm -hmm. on, in chaos. on Marva's right in chaos on Marva's funeral march. Andrew, uh, run that uh, run that line about the banks of the Empire back to me again, real quick. These moments of defiance will have flooded the banks of the Empire's authority, and then there will be one too many. In a few years, Cassian Andor will be on an ocean beach planet, Scarif, waiting on the shores of the Empire to do that Whoa. one thing that breaks the Empire. And that's getting the Death Star plans out. And the last time we see Cassian Andor, he's literally on the banks of the Empire. So that oh, okay. is okay. a cool tie-in. Yeah, I love what a that. catch there. That's I, you, you you just put it in my head. Yeah, that's uh, a great catch. That's, that's a great beautiful. catch there. C three Pio. C three Pio tying it all together. <laughs> I don't know if I want uh, it in a book, but I want to read this manifesto. Like I want to know what. Like I want to full oh. something more. Like even just these lines are so wonderful. Like building that out into like I don't know like another Rebel series in some way. That'd be pretty cool. Do you think? That would be cool. Do you think there's going to be a return of Nemec's manifesto, or was it for this one moment for Cassian, or does it become common sense by Tom Payne, Tom Payne or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I can see Cassian open this opening this manifesto up in the future to get more little snippets. Yeah. I would also like to see Disney just go ahead and publish this thing as a little pamphlet and kind of yes. leave it at the front door of Star Wars World. So when oh, you walk yes. in on your way to go I to Galaxy's Edge, too. you get the manifesto. Put it <laughs> in Galaxy's cool. Edge. That would be awesome. Uh, let's talk about how Luthen's plan has come together. I mean, this is exactly what he was wanting. We didn't yeah. get to see anything with Krieger happen, we, but we heard that the plan went smoothly with Krieger. And now we get to this point where the Empire has put too much pressure on these people and the rebellion is starting in an explosive way. This is the politics. Jake, you mentioned in our very first episode, you like how the politics are involved here. And we will talk I about do. Mon Mothma. We will talk about the Senate. We'll talk about the Emperor name drop. I think, did we get one maybe last episode mm. where they said literally the Emperor uh, maybe yeah, not. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Admiral. Yeah, maybe they did. I like that the emperor is just an overarching presence. But when we talk about politics and, and a lot of the complaints of the prequel trilogies, episodes one, two, and three, where, oh, it's all politics. Where's my laser sword fighting? Where's that? And that's what people wanted. And we should have gotten more of that in the prequels. But these politics, these gritty back alley deals, this, this conniving and scheming, for lack of a better word, we can see it. We can see these politics happen in real time. 
in the prequel trilogies, we were talking about, oh, these hyperspace lanes, the Trade Federation. We never put yeah. a name yeah. to a face except for, you know, Count Dooku and these random alien guys. This is real life politicking. This is playing your cards right. And we see that so, so effectively when we have the conversation with Saw Gerrera about Anto Krieger. To yeah. send away your proverbial knight in order to save your rook or to save your bishop. I, it is a tough conversation where we get that scene in Saw Gerrera's camp but it's one that had to happen and i i I loved that scene favorite scene of the episode not not the finale but that conversation with saw on that particular 11th episode was was monumental where luthan refuses to admit that that was his his doing yeah was krieger's demise and so they they have this banter where they're throwing it back and forth in terms of who who resulted in this action yeah well i think they they're throwing it back and forth but i think they both know that it was i think saw knows (laughs) that luthan's luthan's the guy who's got the inside scoop but something i really liked about that second conversation they had which chris was just talking about where luthan comes to saw and says this is your decision here's the situation you're the one who has to make the call and saw says it's 30 men and luthan says 30 men plus krieger like luthan isn't taking this lightly luthan knows to down to the individual person whose life is going to be ended or who's going to be captured by the empire he knows mm-hmm. every single individual who's going to sacrifice for this cause, but he knows that for his plan to work, those sacrifices have to be made. Right. Yeah. And once again, it goes back to the, I think, the overarching theme of maybe Andor as a whole is the morality of a rebellion and what you have to do to be able to get to the place where on scare if they can get the Death Star plans. Because all of these small things lead up to like very slim chances of them actually being able to take down the empire but what they've sacrificed is incredible right well yeah we get that whole monologue about sacrifice in the last arc Mm -hmm. and then he literally has to send 30 men to their death Mm -hmm. and krieger because they could have you know if saw had saw was ready to go which i thought was also forrest whitaker amazing i said it but i think we all could have guessed that they wouldn't bring him on just for one little scene like that so i'm glad he came back have half a mind to think he'll be in season two in some mm-hmm. capacity, but he was like, tell Krieger it's on. We're going. I'll provide the air support. I'm not taking no no orders, but I'm coming and I'm doing, I'm messing stuff up. And and he gives him the decision and, and Luthen says, you know what? It would be wise to call it off because I don't think it's going to go well. And that's just such a grueling scene. In that moment, yes, he did say, you know, it's your decision. But Luthen is also very good at manipulating characters so i i in another way i i don't think that he while he did give saw the the choice he can very easily manipulate saw into doing what he wants and i think he's probably been manipulating saw into doing what he wants for the past five years you know definitely pointing a gun at his neck kind of (laughs) helps did he give him the choice or is it more of a just construed conversation to just get him to to pull the card he wanted him to pull. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely, yeah. I think, Jake, that's exactly that's what right. happened. Yeah. But still, the illusion of choice is right. sometimes that's, just that's as exactly important. That's exactly the illusion of choice. But Saw figures it out pretty quickly. You know, he goes, either you're ISB or you've got a man on the inside at ISB, which is a great line because you mm-hmm. know Saw is already in the works of the ISB and everything. Oh, and then we get a, maybe our only comic relief of the episode where Saw's like, to Luthan, he goes, tell me who it is. And Luthan goes, it's Tubes over here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that yeah. was so funny. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. Almost as funny as the other comic relief of the stormtrooper coming up to fight the 
guy in the bell tower and just getting oh, yeah. kicked just out annihilated. of the tower. Yeah. Yeah. He just clocks him. That was so funny to see Pun with intended. a quiet little scream in the distance as this <laughs> stormtrooper just falls from the tower. I thought that we were going to get a Wilhelm scream there. By the way, yeah. Jamie, because you brought, brought that character up, he has become a fan favorite a Star Wars fan favorite online, the Time Grappler. That's the name of the man on the bell tower. Oh, he's bell the Time Grappler. The, yeah, Time wow. Grappler. Wow, he's, he's grappling Even for though time. he doesn't speak, he's definitely like a character that has made some impact too. Up there, like marching everyone along, and then finally yeah. they go and try and take him out, and mm-hmm. you just see the Stormtrooper fall from like six stories down. <laughs> Why would they send one person? <laughs> They have the a cannon too. They could just blown up the actual bell tower. That I was thought my they were going to do that. Like, well, yeah, I, I was expecting them to do that. Yeah, but stormtroopers are dumbos. Now I have a question. Hit me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I remember or recall them saying that they were only going to allow thirty people to this procession. Did someone miscalculate or did they miscount? <laughs> well, the Empire's always what? miscalculating, Jake. The people of Ferrix just don't give a fuck about the 30 that was not limit. 30. This is Marva. We're getting the whole town together. <laughs> so, Jake, they did also push it back, too. Like, they said, oh, no, we're pushing yeah. it back. But the daughters of Ferrix and, like, the rest of the people, like, they didn't go with that. Like, they, they started it when they wanted to. They dressed up in their clothes. They had their music that they were marching to. and Ugh, uh, That was haunting. That, yeah, that was actually a really cool way to keep the tension building and building and building with this music. But, yeah, the people were just not having whatever boundaries the Empire tried to push on them for a funeral for one of their leaders. Along with the the comment about the beautiful music, it was so cool how they did it with that like marching band procession playing the actual music that we were hearing. Yeah. And we even saw Bix, who was still locked up in that little cell. She was leaned up against the window to get as much of a view as she could of this mm. processional. And she was singing along. She was taking part in this funeral procession for Marva, even through her extremely tortured state locked up in this cell. So it was a great way to see how impactful Marva was to every single person in Ferrix. This doesn't play into Andor so much, but I thought Adria Arjona, who plays Bix, was just so good as a tortured character. Yeah. And I don't mean that conceptually, not like how we have a tortured hero in Andor who's eventually going to overcome those tortures, but, but like she was truly tortured, physically tortured. And yeah. she played it so well, how, how she's like hanging on people just to even get to walk. We see the emotion that she's been through with, she's got that memory of Dr. Gore saying like, oh yeah, we found that it's sort of a choral, uh, the screaming of the kids, they make this choral pleading sound and and they don't let us forget that when we have to look at Bix and and see how messed up she is. But yeah, I I thought that was, that just as a sidebar, excellent acting right there. Yeah, and even when Andor comes to save her, she says, no, I can't leave, they'll be mad. Stockholm. Just to show how broken she was. At the very end of uh, the episode as well, though, where she looks up at Andor and the rest of them and said, Cassian will find us. And yes, it's the that one awesome. positive thing that can, like, there's a bit of glimmer of hope on her face, even though mm. after, when you look at her face, by the way, the, the costuming, like the, the design and like the artistry. Gorgeous. Just wonderful. And you could just see she's, obviously been beaten down to almost nothing but she believes in pass you know what i was kind of surprised by how much of a pivotal character pegla was in this final episode i agree i felt like that was somewhat of a downfall in the conclusion of season one in terms of 
They didn't build that character up enough in the very beginning to bring him back and be not necessarily the escort for Andor to be able to hop from point A Mm. to point B to point C during this whole operation, but the character didn't feel earned to, to be playing that role. But what uh, who well, I I will you know, say maybe that's the point. who did not get enough screen time and did a great job though in in uh, reprising their their role was Salman Pak's son with the pipe bomb yeah. or the the improvised yeah. explosive device. Yes, he was a great character and expanded upon his role. No words either. Right? Yeah. They didn't have to pay. He him. didn't have to. He's not a part of the Screen Actors Guild. And, th- <laughs> and that's actually. <laughs> And that's how they actually built the episode too, right? The very opening sequence is him slowly building, and we know what he's doing, and he's looking at his father like a, a hall. I didn't. You didn't? I, I thought he was building a lightsaber. I was like, <laughs> Jamie's gonna be so mad that there's laser <laughs> swords in this one. Lightsabers out of here. <laughs> what if like halfway through the episode bombs. he turns on a lightsaber and like, oh I wait, thought, he I... uses the force. <laughs> I thought they were going to ruin everything that they worked for. I legitimately thought when he was like twisting that rotator part, I for sure thought it was a lightsaber. That's funny. Oh, that did not cross my mind for a second. Thank God it was a pipe bomb. The sequencing of the actual uh, opening, it's like you keep panning back to him and he's like part to part and the music in the background is building. The tension that mm-hmm. they can drive in these these episodes is just incredible as well. Like, Every single episode just builds and builds. The writing of the show has been incredible from a character standpoint and from a plot standpoint and pacing. Everything Mm -hmm. has been beautiful. And in this episode, Mm -hmm. I loved how they started with building the bomb. And then as soon as the scuffle begins, he just throws the bomb into the most densely populated area of Imperial soldiers. (laughs) Just exploding everybody. Chaos begins. And that's when we get our good friend Dedra, who's out there. She's trying to catch Cassian, as always. She gets in the middle of it, and she's looking like she's in a bad place. She's getting knocked down. She's getting kicked by these Ferrix rebels until... Our good friend Cyril saves her from oh, the scuffle. Buddy. I'm gonna just point out something. You hypothesized that Dedra would get knocked down in some way. <laughs> oh, she literally, oh, did. She literally <laughs> got I... knocked down. We didn't. Nice we didn't think call. it would be literal. We're gonna have to. We call didn't that think the it would be literal. Ever yeah. perfect prediction. Theory success music. Hit it. Theory <laughs> success. Literal theory success. That that's was, why you got to tune into the Hoopla podcast for that sort of beautiful insight. So I was watching that scene, and especially when it cuts back and forth between the people of Ferrix and, and the Empire side of things, the ISB side of things, I felt that the editing was really scrambled and, and, and cut too much and was poorly paced, but more specifically, more chaotic. And that was... On purpose. Mm-hmm. I realized it only after I'd finished the scene that I don't really know how Deidre and Cyril were able to. Uh, I know. I know he did the gun stunt where he was like pretending to like stick her up and like get her to safety somehow, so she to, you know do whatever. But in that chaos, I didn't really see a lot of these things happening, even though I knew they were happening. Uh, like when the the wrong person comes out of Marva's house and they're like, "It's the wrong person. We don't have him." I was like, "Well, who are they looking for? Cassian?" They're, he's not going to go back to the there house. There was just so much. There was so much but packed It was in. chaotic. Yeah, exactly. And it was supposed to be that way. And I only realized that after, you know, I was able to take a breath. But again, another tribute to the editing and, and, and the writing. Sure, we say writing a lot, but the editing here specifically, the mm-hmm. cuts, the chaos was, was really impactful for the actual moment. 
Oh, I, I thought they were going to kiss. I did. Thought oh, we were gonna my kiss. God. <laughs> I, and I will yeah. say, oh, yeah. I wanted them to kiss. No. <laughs> no, I would have hated that. That would have been no. terrible. What are you talking about? <laughs> I agree. No, I, I, it, I thought it, about that as well, Chris, because like, it seemed like he would do something like that. But I don't know. Like, I, I just I'm interested to see what they do with his character in relation to her and in going into season two. She right. definitely has openings on her staff at this point. <laughs> so like, uh, like, is he going to become an ISB officer that like is just her right hand? And he's just, you know, so dead set, so determined to get Cassian that that's just what season two is, that his arc is getting cast. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want them to kiss. And then she said, I should thank you. And then they, they pull away and they're both just huffing and puffing. And then I did want them to kiss. But now that they didn't kiss, I, I think it's better that they didn't kiss. <laughs> Disney loves shoehorning in those weird kiss scenes. That seems you like the antithesis of Andor, though, right? I don't think we've had yeah. a single kiss this entire show. Yeah, yeah no, that's good. Oh, we did they between do. Tim and uh, and Bax. Oh, they did. Oh, that's right. It. We did have the Tim and Bim. Tim and Bim. Whoops. <laughs> Tim and Bim. Tim and Bim and Freaking kicks and Tim. I don't even think I can say Tim, rest in peace. But not to Tim. really. Oh, don't even say Tim. rip to Tim. But really quick, going back to that the chaotic scene there. Once again, yeah. it's driven initially by the 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 tension is driven by the music as they're they're walking along the path, and then once the chaos starts, then it's like just there's a lot of screaming in the background. The movement of the camera is so quick. And, you know, like chaotic in, in the ways that we didn't know the audience, you didn't always know who you were looking at. But it was cool because it was once once something that Jake mentioned, it was all of our characters that we've that have been built over the season are all in this chaos. So then you take a look at, you know, Luthen and his point of view looking over the city and seeing, oh, yeah, this mm -hmm. this is what I was wanting. And then you have Cinta and, and Vel who are over Cinta's over here trying to assassinate yeah. that ISB officer. Right. Trying to. Right, and did. Yeah, she did. She did. Do assassinate or do not. Him. And, and it was just all these different moments. And then you have like Brazo, who is one of the most lovable characters, by the way, mm -hmm. in this in this series. What he doesn't guy. have many lines, but um, he's kind of the heart and soul of Ferris. To Jake's point earlier, he, when he said that Pelga was not really a character that was flushed out well enough for him, I, I kind of agree to that sentiment to some of the Ferrix characters, but I, I think Ferrix as a whole is mm -hmm. the character. Yeah, I agree. And that's a great way of putting it. Diving into two specific of those characters that didn't get much screen time or didn't get many impactful moments is not worth it because Ferrix was written as a character. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you made me think on it, Jake. I agree with you because when Andy said Brasa, it was like, yeah, he, he's he's a lovable character. He kind of goes with the flow whenever there's trouble. He helps Cassian and he whoever helps needs B2. help no matter what. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah. The scenes between those uh, two when are so He wonderful. stays the night where B2 is like, you, 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 you could stay. And oh, my God. He Brasa's goes, like, one, one night. One night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, I, I think I think Ferrix is the character here for some of those group characters. One of the ways I've been looking at it too with some of these characters who haven't been fully fleshed out is that kind of the point of the show is that you don't have to be this important, powerful person to make a difference. Yeah. You can just be a regular, average guy who's just living a normal life in Ferrix. That wants to do the right thing. And you can still have an impact in this rebellion. So anybody can be a rebel and they don't have to be someone who's very important or someone who's related to Darth Vader or anything like that. It can be well, it ties, anybody it ties from any back small to town. Andy's conversation about the morality of the rebellion, right? You just 
you stand for what's right and you stand for what's wrong. And, and the people of Ferrix all realize that the oppression of the Empire is ultimately evil. And so they all decide to act not as a single unit, but as, as an entire entity. Stronger together. And, and once again, it's another thing that... And it's great because all of these different themes of some of the arcs are kind of coming together in the finale where everyone comes to the, the rebellion in their own way. Like we saw during the Aldani you know, episodes, right? The Ferrix is coming in its own way, pushed by Marva. You know, Cassian is coming in his own way. Luthen, and then obviously Mon, we can talk about here in a bit. But so interesting to see this form together. Yeah, that's actually perfect that you said that, because I was just about to say it's time for a chaotic jump cut for us to talk about Mon <laughs> and her financial issues that she's in. Mm. Uh, but if you have anything else to say, Jake, go ahead. No, I was going to do a chaotic jump myself and talk about Luthen's ship, because <laughs> that's that's a scene that Ooh. definitely needs oh, to be Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, I almost forgot about that from episodes 11. That was probably one of my favorite moments of this entire series. When we see Luthen's ship caught in the tractor beam, then it's put in force tractor level two, and then he fires one thruster, and then they warn him. Then he like starts arming the flares out of the rear aspect of the ship and then launches them and destroys the suction ray or whatever. That was so dope. And then he takes on three TIE fighters and a TIE bomber. Yeah. And then we see this laser which is almost reminiscent of this is a shout out to clone wars but almost reminiscent of the inquisitor's lightsaber in the way that it rotated it was just so badass it was so dope they were red lasers what an incredible scene that was so cool he just turned his ship into a lightsaber and took out all the tie fighters that was amazing. Okay, but one yeah. thing I want to say about this is in all the other Star Wars properties, say in Mandalorian and maybe some of these other TV shows, they would have just had that in episode one and episode two and three. But because they yes. built to it, it was even more so. Like, yeah, he took out two TIE fighters and a TIE bomber. But when he did it, you're shocked. Like my, my, my mouth, my jaw was dropped. <laughs> right. It, it, it had right, the Andy. it had the impact of seeing Darth Maul's second saber. It was Ooh, it was that yes. level. Yeah. Of oh, yeah. I agree. I like that. You're right, Andy. Because first episode of Mando, we have to get introduced to this badass, fully yeah. armored character, yeah. and we do, and it's great, and I love Mando, and we see the whistling birds and yeah. all his cool tech and his staff. But you're so right. That had to happen first episode, and then we kind of we knew what he was working with. Oh, he's a bounty hunter. The only thing that can happen to that character is that he gets torn down or that he gets his armor stolen or mm-hmm. that something bad happens to his kit. To be surprised with that from Luthen, who is an unsuspecting, yeah. but we're learning more and more and more how capable he is. That's a great point, Andrew, and I totally agree. Oh, Jake, I'm glad you made us talk about this because you're right. Oh, that was yeah. awesome. so sick. We can't forget about that scene. How much further are we going to get into Luthen's backstory? Because now we know what he's capable of. Like, do we need a Luthen spinoff show? Oh, we man, need a, I mean, need a Luthen spinoff. Oh, that would be cool. I would be about that, honestly. Content! See, I was starting to think that we were going to get no more Luthen. I thought I was going to go for two for two with my incredible predictions, because I thought Cassian was going to kill Luthen in that very last scene yeah. of season oh, one, yeah. when Cassian sneaks onto his ship. And, and now we're going to need to and, play the theory debunk music. <laughs> now, hey, it's well, not debunked okay. yet. It's not debunked yet. Cassian can still come in with the assassination in season two, maybe. 
But what a scene there when Cassian goes to Luthen and says, kill me or take me in. Yeah. And he's fully in now on this rebellion or he wants to die either way. But either he dies or he's fully in on the rebellion. What an intense scene. So do you, did you guys like the way that that kind of left us with season one? I, I saw in some some fan reviews that maybe it wasn't as climactic at the very end there, but I thought it was a great parting way of, yes, Andor is now the rebel, and now they can really explore that in season two. Exactly. Did you guys find, did you enjoy that kind of final scene? I agree with, end, that, end with that sentiment of the online community and that it wasn't as grand a finale as we would have liked to have seen from Andor, considering all the things that he's gone and done and accomplished throughout all 12 episodes. I guess it amounts to something greater that we'll see in season two. But you expect, literally within the first 10 minutes of the first episode, you see him kill someone. And so you'd think they would bring that back till the very end. And, and really, honestly, they just disappointed Jamie, which is what I'm most upset about. They should have just killed him for Jim. They should have just did it for him. Yeah. It's like they don't listen to the podcast. How dare they? <laughs> uh, but on the idea of scale, and you said it wasn't the grand finale we were looking for. I was also surprised, and on my first viewing of the finale, I was honestly a little underwhelmed by the scale of this sure. finale. Agreed. Where I thought we were going to get more of a huge rebellion uprising. I thought we'd maybe see everything happen with Krieger, because that must have been an intense fight with Krieger and all the mm. ISB agents. Um, I thought maybe we'd see something huge like that. But they kept it small, and I think that's what the point of this whole show is, right? Yeah. It's the rebellion starts on a small scale in a lot of different places. Yeah. And so we're seeing one of these of many, many, many small scale rebellions start up and we get to see it from the very personal perspective of Cassian Andor. So I was really happy with the way they did it. The story begins with Cassian just trying to look out for himself, find his sister. Oh, by the way, we haven't found the sister yet. Oh, that's a big and. Just kind of go his own way, not ruffle any feathers. Well, he's ruffling feathers, I guess, but, you know, not trying to start anything. And then we get to this finale where he is now fully in on the to rebellion. To be fair, tying back to the sister to comment, fair. Marva does tell Andor to stop looking for his sister, which is going to tie into my previous theory. She is now going to find him. That is what's going to happen in season two. Oh, as the ah, overarching mm. villain. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, as a villain, okay. that's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, you say as a villain? Yep. Yeah. I think that's that's part partly she my. She could theory be a part too. of the. Yeah, well, I'm on board and, with that. And get this, get this. This could be this could be one of our craziest theories yet. But I'm gonna toss it out there. Y'all ready for uh, this? One of your craziest theories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, this is this is a, as a collective whole for the podcast. Um, Deidre is Andor's sister. No, no way. No, no wait. No, no Deidre is blonde, not. and we've already seen the absolutely sister. Not. The sister is brunette. Yeah. She, she, no, hey, I mean you we've can change seen, your hair. We've seen dyed I mean, hair yeah, in like, Star Wars before. Ask me about it on <laughs> <freaking> episode eight. <laughs> no. uh, no. Nope. Okay. Yeah. Nick. That's, hey, Nick's, I'm not that's giving a theory, you a theory but, music for that. Well, I'm giving myself theory music. Yeah, give yourself theory <laughs> I'm music. Give but we do have to bring up the post credit scene. And I oh. need, I am disappointed in all of us. 
All mm. four of us are guilty of dereliction of hoopla for not theorizing about what they were making in the prison. Ah, we saw them for three episodes making stuff, and we didn't pose a single theory. What are we yeah. doing on the Hoopla yeah. podcast if we're not theorizing about this we, thing? That's and a great it turns call. out they are building the Death Star. Oh, so okay. cool. the, the, I just love the fact, I mean, we, that was obviously a prevailing theory that why would they need all of these parts being made over, you know, from all these different people? But the fact that it's just, you can you can look back on it when we watch Rogue One, you're gonna see the super laser destroy Scarif and kill Cassian and realize you know, remember back and Cassian actually built part of the super laser oh, itself. Like Wow. That's just gonna be like, oh man, he built He was that. a contributor <laughs> to his own demise. I was very happy in the way that they did that with it being a post credit scene, because it wouldn't have felt right, I think, in the actual like it's almost a side a side plot. Like it's a side story. They didn't need it in the actual full episode itself. Yeah, um, yeah. Just kind of teasing it out. We could have all you know imagined. We didn't. That wasn't necessary. But it just provides a little bit more. When you saw like those pieces getting built by the the spiders, like a kind of interesting spider droids. Um, yeah, did you, very prequel reminiscent. Super prequel. And did you? did you immediately think oh this is the death star or were you like oh is this a different super weapon no me personally i immediately thought it was the death star i thought it was the shield above scarif oh it looks like that yeah i thought it was like a reflective shield more than anything and then we turn we zoom out and obviously it's just a panel that goes into the death star which is cool uh what is it called uh, what's the project called star something star scream no, that's no, a it's Decepticon. <laughs> no, no, the uh, Stardust. Uh, I, Stardust. I think the it's Megatron. If I, if I remember it correctly. <laughs> yeah, the Megatron, the Megatron laser. <laughs> Cassian built Megatron. Well, before we got to that incredible reveal that the Death Star is currently being built, which I guess we all knew, but Cassian was involved. Let's jump over to our friend Mon Mothma, who again has been trying to deal with these financial issues and has made a couple different decisions as to how she's going to go about curing her financial woes. She -hmm. does end up deciding to marry off her daughter to this this other Chandrillan guy. Or at least yeah. introduce. Do we think that was going to happen? Right, at least introduce. But it's a, it's presumed. There's a little vagueness. Because she says, in the previous arc, she says, it's out of the question. I will not hear it. And then, of course, he has that great line. She's, and he says, you know, she says, I'm not considering it. He says, that's the first true thing, or first false thing you've said so far. Right. I butchered that whole scene right there, but we, we knew where <laughs> we you remember the scene. Not an we, we all remember the scene. And then in this next arc, she has kind of already made that decision and mm-hmm. we learned that through the audience from when she's telling Vel. And I think that was another good literary device to tell us while she's telling Vel and admitting kind of we almost kind of get a recap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta love a mid episode recap. <laughs> um but okay, so that I guess is my question is she has a couple different options of how she can go about getting rid of this financial issue. One, she can marry off her daughter and the Chandrillan guy will just give her a whole bunch of money. But then we also see at the end of episode 12, when she's in the car with her husband, and she tells the driver to stop listening, but she knows that he's ISB and will be listening to everything. Then she starts coming up with this whole gambling thing. Mm. Yeah. And using, like, throwing her husband under the bus, like, all this missing money that the ISB is not going to be able to find. 
that's because her husband has been gambling away. She even references Canto Bite. I enjoyed that. She does. That was a nice little little Easter egg. Quick roundtable for you, because Perrin as a character is is an important character to the Star Wars universe in the sense that he's kind of this representation of the Coruscant lifestyle, the the drinking, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. senatorial talk, all that jazz. Quick roundtable, is Perrin in on the ruse? Or do you think he was totally caught off guard by his wife? I think he's totally caught off guard. Yeah. So when he says someone's lying to you, he actually thinks that someone is saying that to him. Yeah, I, I think yeah, so okay. as well. Because I, I think that they're they're getting to this point where Mon is going to her family already kind of she has a bad relationship with him and then has a subpar relationship with her daughter. That's gonna be the point where her family ceases almost to exist. So she can be the rebel leader that she needs to be to get sure. to, uh, you know, what we see in Hope. That's a very interesting question there, Chris, because I hadn't, you know, it was an automatic lock for me that it was, that it was just a genuine response on his behalf. But, yeah. but when you pose that question, it does make me wonder. Uh, you know, it makes, because they're amicable, they don't hate each other. They're not they're not plotting each other's demise. They just don't love each other. They mm. were forced into a marriage. Right. It still happens in many cultures around the world in the real life today. They're forced into a marriage. They don't learn to love each other, and and that doesn't mean they have to destroy each other. But right. I, but, I I wonder. But they yeah. do have different agendas. I mean, that's evident throughout the, this is the true. course of the show. He is definitely one that's shown and proven that he's more on on the terms of the empire. But we don't know how much. We are pretty limited in terms of in terms of what we know in his in his backstory. So, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, Chris. I'm going to say nice. I'm going to say he's up to something. I solemnly swear he's up to no good. <laughs> Ooh, hey, that's a different fan. And you know, <laughs> it is a different. Fandom. If you rearrange the letters in Perrin, it spells Snoke. There we go. <laughs> 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 Oh no! Wait, if Perrin is Snoke, I I mean, now that that is some Dan, some Tony Gilroy writing. <laughs> that would be incredible. This was an awesome finale to season one of Andor. I know we all absolutely loved this show. One of the best Star Wars anything we've had in a very long time. So this was fantastic finale. The two episode finale of season one of Andor was great. We all loved it. Uh, We're going to be back next week with another Holocron Hoopla episode with a whole season one recap of Andor, where we'll discuss everything overall, give some of our favorite and least favorite parts of the whole season, as well as start to come up with some of these fantastic Hoopla theories for where this is going in season two. Hoopla! Hoopla! Let's go around, and as we end every episode, we'll do some final thoughts on this two-part finale of Andor and give it a rating. On a scale of one to order sixty-six, and this time we're going to start with Jamie. Oh, whoa! whoa. whoa. I was not prepared for this. That's a plot twist. Now that is a plot twist. If That's I've some Tony Gilroy it. writing right there. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to if you're not ready. Oh, I'm ready, baby. I really enjoyed this. As I said, I was initially surprised at the small magnitude of this finale. Sure. It wasn't as grand as other finales have been for TV shows. But after watching it a second time and after having this discussion with you guys, I was really happy with the way that they ended this. I think they took all the stories from all the characters, brought them to a really nice place where they ended the first arc of every character's journey. 
and set it up for a fantastic season two. I loved it. As I've been saying the whole season, this is my favorite Star Wars that we've had in a very long time. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to rate this finale, these two episodes. I'm going to give it a 60 out of 66 hoopla. Hoopla. And now let's bring it over to Chris. <laughs> All right. Well, it's like you you always have to go last, so you never get to to lead off the points and, and everything. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I love You're it. You're welcome, buddy. I will jump in and resonate everything you just said. Uh, I, again, I... I they knew they had a season two to work with, which is an advantage when it comes to writing, but they did not take that for granted. They still gave us a, a grounded rebel sect finale in this season one. And and it's it's what we've talked about. You're right. It's these insurrections from the manifesto from, from Kemen. It's these insurrections, these small outbursts of rebellion. And we got that exactly on Ferex. And that's all we needed for season one. The scale is going to get grander, I think. And we'll see a bigger finale for you there in season two, Jamie. But this was an excellent finale. I think they really brought it home. They landed the plane. There was nothing wrong with it. I will say episode 11 was a little slower than normal. And and just because it had to be. I mean, it's a two-part finale. They did that on purpose. So 11 and 12 were kind of supposed to be not viewed together, but taken in together as a duo. 12 was was excellent. I thought, you know, the, the tension that we saw from that battle scene was not really a battle scene. It was scrappy fighting. It was hitting people upside the head with bricks. I with Marva. Loved it. Yeah, we hit people upside the head with Marva, uh, which is probably a brand new sentence. <laughs> I will uh, I will maintain my score from last arc at a 61 out of 66 hooplas. Hoopla. Uh, no reason to increase it. I still think there's a, a small room to grow for season two. Uh, but again, nothing was wrong. Nothing was out of place. We still got top-notch acting. No Andy Serkis. I think he's got to be back for season two. We did not get a conclusion on know, the... I don't know, man. Uh, we I didn't get so. a conclusion. I need to he know if he swim. learned to swim. But Kino Roy <laughs> is seven he letters. Swimming lessons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Jake did say it. And I think we're going to get a comic of Kino on a mattress. Sw- yeah. like Just being... Uh, swimming along. Well, here's what I'm thinking. They flooded room five, level two or whatever, where they were working. They flooded that whole room. So Kino can just take as much time as he needs to teach himself how to swim. (laughs) And then when he's feeling ready, he'll just take the jump. (laughs) He can have less. Well, we'll talk more about the future of characters and all that jazz and theories and stuff in our uh, season one review. So make sure to tune in. But yeah. Yeah, So that's a a good little (laughs) teaser for the... (laughs) It's a teaser for the review. Uh, they, they, they absolutely landed the plane. No turbulence. Uh, again, I wasn't, you know, overly spectacularly wowed with any particular choice or scene or decision they made, but that is okay. It was an excellent final two episodes and it's a 61 out of 66 for me. Beautiful. I love it. All right. Now, Jake, following up that incredible theory, Jake, what do you think about this episode? We pretty much hit all the qualms I had with this episode. I guess one of which, which I didn't really hit on when we discussed earlier, uh, Marva's projection, I feel like that hologram would have been reviewed or advised (laughs) I don't know. That's pretty explicit in terms of in sparking anarchy against the Empire. 
uh, for it to go as long as it did was oh, I see what you was saying. was kind of a, a push for me. Uh, it was a little much, but I'll, I'll allow it. I, I'll buy it. I'll buy it just because it was kind of fun to to see the whole sort of conflict unfold. But again, the Pegla situation. Yeah. Chris mentioned, you know, episode eleven did drag on a little bit. I agree with that. They had to flesh out some details, but man, that ship scene though. <laughs> that was incredible god i want to see more of that in the future so that's redemption quality there and and you know we we close a lot of storylines that uh needed answering what happens to andor going forward will be interesting but it's nice to see the perspective that he's all in for the rebellion and you know we discussed that he is marva's legacy marva's hero and he really does sure. step into those shoes doing what he did and saying what he said to Luthen at the very end. So it's earned. Would I have liked the Michael Bay explosion ending? Absolutely. But uh, <laughs> we will get that with Alderaan in quite some time. <laughs> so uh, that being said... A million voices just vanished. I'm going to give this a 59 out of 66 to close us out for the last arc of the series. Hoopla! Nice. Alderaan Hoopla. did get a name drop. There he was an get, Alderaan name he drop. He had to get yeah. that Alderaan code. Uh, yes. Um, beautiful. All right. And now, Andy, taking up the role that I'm usually in, the fourth person to give their final thoughts. How's ah, it feel, man? What, what, you what can I say? <laughs> what do you usually say, Jamie? I don't I usually just ramble some nonsense. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to do the same here. I love the, the finale because of all of these characters that we've built over the season being able to, to come together and kind of collide in some way. Um, on Ferrix, where we started the story, Chris, you talked about it a little bit, when, and Jake as well. Ferrix is a, is a character in and of itself. And it's just such a good location. And I hope that we keep revisiting it going into season two. I, I feel like it's just impactful to walk the streets of Ferrix, uh with, with the characters. I enjoyed episode 11. You know, like you mentioned, it's a little bit slower, but it did set those pieces into place. You know, overall, like I just I, I love the writing of, of this series and you can't give it anymore. What do you want to say, Jake? Let's hear it. I, I'm going to post a theory and i will elaborate it on it in our next episode for the season recap the daughters of ferrix are going to be the ambassadors for the resistance or for the rebellion going forward throughout the galaxy Ooh, ambassadors okay. what do you mean are we going to talk about this on the review yeah i'm going to just leave it at that tune in I'm next gonna just week just leave it at that and we'll, we'll talk okay. about it next okay. week Okay. Yeah, tune in next week. You'll hear all about that new theory. All right, Andy, so rating. What are we thinking? Really quick before I give the final rating, Nemec's manifesto is one of the coolest. Like, I loved hearing Nemec's voice as Cassian's reading through the manifesto, and you can just see his outlook on life change. Um, and then it is then there's the climax of then with Marva pushing all these people to join the rebellion. People Everyone comes to the rebellion in their own ways. I just love how they've this story has been written out and then, you know, actually acted out by these wonderful actors. Um, so I'm going to get this a 61 out of 66. Andor is some of the best Star Wars we've ever gotten. It's up there with Mandalorian and it's up there with the original trilogy. I love it. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Hoopla. That's a hoopla. 
Um, that's a hoopla. hoopla. Beautiful. Well, thank you all for tuning in to this season one finale of Andor, uh, episode four of the Holocron Hoopla podcast. We'll be back, as we mentioned, next week talking about the whole season overall, our thoughts on it. And with this little teaser of Jake's tr- uh, theory, we'll get some more theories coming in next week about season two. Big time. But before we end this episode, Jamie, can I say one quick thing? I said it last episode at the very end. Nemec said start climbing. Kino said start climbing. K2SO said start climbing. Cassian Andor in the season finale told his friends to start climbing. Yes, he did. And we will climb our way to the meme of the week. Chris, what do you have for us? This week's Star Wars meme of the week is a bit of a meta commentary as we wrap up the first season of Andor. Let's take ourselves back one, maybe two years. We're at Disney's Expo. We're at Star Wars Celebration, maybe. The quote comes from Clone Wars Season 7. It's Darth Maul that says, I was expecting Kenobi. Why are you here? Think about this. When we heard about the Kenobi project, we were ecstatic. Oh my gosh. Obi-Wan Kenobi's coming back. We're getting all of that that we never knew. We're getting uh, Ewan McGregor back, and likely, we didn't know at the time, we were getting Anakin Skywalker back, too. We, we, uh, the Kenobi cool. Project is its own thing to be celebrated, but we were expecting Kenobi. We were not expecting Andor. And I think when we saw all the projects listed out for Disney's plan, everyone was looking at Kenobi. No one was looking at Andor. Andor came out of nowhere and surprised us, so... I was expecting Kenobi. Why are you here? That line from Clone Wars <laughs> speaks volumes right now because Andor has outshined almost everything. That's exactly how the rebels like That's it. Beautiful. You don't see them coming and they take over the world, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, and as we bring this episode to a close, as we end every single episode of the Hoopla podcast, it is time for the moment of highest Hoopla, our quote of the episode. What do we have this week, Andy? It's the entire manifesto. (laughs) (laughs) And as Nemec said, tyranny requires constant effort. It breaks. It leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. Remember that. And know this. The day will come when all these skirmishes and battles, these moments of defiance will have flooded the banks of the Empire's authority, and then there will be one too many. Oh shit, did Andy freeze on us? Oh no. Hey, can you hear me? Quick, someone else make up a quote. Don't get cocky, kid. Uh, uh, Rebellions are built on hope.